Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. On this building, there are scripture verses that people have written as prayers to the Lord that God would accomplish through this tool that he's given us as a new building. Some of you were part of that, and some of you have come after that, but it's amazing to go through. I didn't show you all the footage. It would take a long, it was like about a 30-minute footage, uh, but just to go around to see all the different scriptures and prayers that people wrote, even up here on the stage you saw underneath where you're sitting in different areas, especially over in the children's area. There's a lot of prayers for children, and um, out on the four years where you saw the Great Commission um, underneath there, and so it's exciting to see how God has answered many of those prayers and scriptures that were written underneath where we are meeting these past, what is it, nine years? Not nine years, seven years. We've been here a while, haven't we? 2009, do the math. Eight, eight, okay, good. All right. Yeah, I'm not good at math. Mickey is, I'm just a pastor. Play one on TV. All right, so... 2 Timothy chapter 2, we've been in this passage of Scripture for the past three weeks, and we're going to conclude it this morning, but let's just do a little bit of review from this passage of Scripture. The entire Scripture is framed with the whole idea of being strengthened by God's grace. Everything that we do is empowered by grace. Can't do anything in the Christian life without God's grace, and then Paul gives those commands. The first one we looked at was entrust. Entrust others who will be able to entrust others who will be able to entrust others to teach others with the gospel this perpetual ongoing disciple-making process. Then the second thing we looked at is suffer well. Be prepared to suffer like a good soldier, like a good athlete, like the hard-working farmer. Endure hardship, suffer. And then last week we looked at remember the power of the gospel. Remember God's word is not chained. God's word is not bound. It is sufficient to save. And so Paul concludes these teachings with a hymn, a trustworthy saying that gives us tremendous encouragement and one warning about our salvation. So let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, 
we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You should notice four if-then statements. If something, then something. We're going to explore these four statements, but here's the main point of Paul's passage here at the very end, these last three verses. We are faithful for the future by remaining faithful to the gospel. By remaining faithful to the gospel, both personally in our own lives and as a church. And so if we're to remain faithful to the gospel, faithful for the future, let's look at these four truths, these four if-then statements that Paul gives us. Here's the first of these if-then statements. First of all, remember the newness of life we enjoy in our union with Christ. Enjoy this. Enjoy the newness of life that we have with Christ. Notice what Paul says right there at the beginning of verse 11. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we have died with him. Notice it's in the past tense. We have died with Christ. Now you may ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean that we have died with Christ? Here's what it means. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It means this has happened to every single one of you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It means this. Your old life, your old life of sin, your old life of shame, your old life of guilt, your old life of depravity, that life has died. It has been buried. It is dead and gone, and you have been raised to newness of life. You are a new person in Christ. You have died with Christ. Paul looks at it this way. It's as if when Jesus was on the cross and he died and was buried and rose again, it's as if in God's mind we were there with Jesus. We died that death with Jesus. We were buried with Jesus. We were raised again with Jesus. And we have this newness of life that we enjoy in our union with Christ as new people. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6. 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you see the, the language Paul uses there? We've died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. Our old life is dead and gone. We've been raised to newness of life. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If we have died with Christ, what does Paul say? We will also live with Christ. I think it has a double meaning. Yes, obviously one day we're going to live with Jesus in eternity. In, in our future home in heaven, when we are in heaven face to face, we will live forever with Jesus. I think that's, that could be what it means, but I also think it means this. Right now, 
you are living with Christ as a new creation in Christ. And we need to enjoy that. Part of the Christian life is coming to realize who you are in Christ. You and I are dead to sin, alive to Christ. We are new creations. We have new identities. Our old life is dead and gone. It's been buried. We've been raised with Christ. We have union with Christ. We have fellowship with Christ. We are in Christ, and we live in that freedom. We live in that joy. We live in the blessing of being in Christ. That's why Paul can say in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We were talking about this Wednesday night in our class about how the word Christian shows up very rarely in the Bible. So if somebody asks you if you're a Christian, there's nothing wrong with that. But a better answer may be this. Are you a Christian? Yes, but here's my true identity. I am one who is in Christ, and Christ is in me. Now, we don't use that terminology, do we? I'm an in Christ person. It's easier to say Christian, right? I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been buried with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. My life is Christ. So Paul says, remember who you are. You have died with Christ You are living with Christ. That's number one. Here's the second thing he wants us to remember. I think it's framed in this whole remember. Back up in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. All the blessings that flow from Jesus Christ. Secondly, remember the reality of enduring to the end and persevering faith. The reality of enduring to the end and persevering faith. Notice what he says in verse 12. If we endure we will also reign with him. Now this switches to present tense. If we endure, literally if we keep on continually enduring. Now, is the life of a Christian a life of endurance? A life of perseverance? A life of struggle? Yes. What does Jesus tell us in Matthew 10, 22? You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's not those who finish the race. It's those who end the race. And it's a marathon. And we must endure. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be patient. Endure. Persevere. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not may be persecuted, will be persecuted. If we endure, if we remain, if we persevere, if we go through trials and struggles in our union with Christ, what's the reward? Notice, we will also reign with Him. We will reign with Him. That's a powerful word, reign. What does that mean? We will be co-heirs with Christ in heaven, jointly under his leadership, living in the victory of eternal life, knowing that Christ is victorious, and we will reign victorious with him. We will be forever with him. And so the reward for endurance is reigning. And so some of you may be thinking, I want to see that reward right now. I don't want to have to keep enduring. 
Well, I got a newsflash for you. Until Jesus comes back or you go to heaven, you're going to still have to endure. But the way you endure, the reason why you persevere, is the promise waiting for you. What's the promise waiting for you? You're going to reign with Christ. So whatever goes on in this earth and whatever you struggle with, it pales in comparison to what the future reward is. And Paul wants to remind us, listen, you've got to endure. Part and parcel of the Christian life is enduring, persevering, struggling, but you know there's a reward. You will reign with Christ. So these first two statements of this hymn or this trustworthy statement are very positive. We have union with Christ. We, we are in Christ. We've died with Christ. But we have to suffer. We're going to have to endure with Christ. But we're going to reign with Christ. We're going to live with Christ. But the third one is a dire warning. It's not a blessing. It's a warning. Here's the third thing we must remember. Remember the warning of falling away as a result of false conversion. What's the second half of verse 12 say? If, here's the third if statement, if we deny him, he will deny us. That word deny means to disown, to repudiate, to cast aside. Jesus gives this warning himself in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. What does Jesus say? So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. That's a strong statement. If you deny Jesus, he'll deny you. If you repudiate Jesus, he'll repudiate you. If you disown Jesus, he will disown you. There were some false teachers that did this. In Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, They profess... To know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is what we call falling away from the faith. But it does not mean that a true Christian loses his or her salvation. What it means is there is such a thing as a false conversion by people who profess faith in Christ, but do not possess faith in Christ. There's a big difference. You can play a good game. You can act like you're a Christian. You can know the lingo. You can go through the motions, but you can, you can do all that and not experience union with Christ. You can do all that and not be buried with Christ and raised to new life. You can do all the Christianese without actually experiencing the new birth. And guess what? If you truly have experienced the new birth, you will endure to the end. If you've not experienced the new birth, if you've not been made a new person in Christ, you won't endure to the end. You're going to deny Jesus. And it's a dire warning. And what are the results if you deny Jesus, if you fall away? It's kind of scary. What does he say? He's going to deny us. Some of the scariest words in the Bible are from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. From the words of Jesus. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, that's the scary thing, many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In your name, Jesus, we did all these things in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Luke 12, 8 through 9. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. It's a strong warning. There are many, Jesus says, that have head knowledge of who Jesus is. There are many that may even be doing ministry in his name. Many who've prayed, many who've gotten baptized, many who've sung songs in church, many who've gone on mission trips, many who have been greeters and ushers and nursery workers and Sunday school teachers and sung in the choir and done all these things. Many. But Jesus says, I never knew you. And why did he never know them? Because they were never buried with Christ and raised to newness of life. They never experienced a repentance, a faith that means that you have totally died to your old life and risen to new life in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. You've been born again. You've repented. You've believed. You've not experienced the new birth. So it's a warning. Here's the fourth thing, and this is a controversial one that I had to do a little bit of study on because it's split right down the middle by scholars. Here's the fourth promise. Remember the promise of God's faithfulness in our times of weakness. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, there's a lot of debate about this. If we are faithless, what does faithless sound like? Does that sound like a good thing? It almost sounds close to denying Jesus. If, we, if we're unbelieving, if we're denying Jesus, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. Well, faithful to do what? Here's where the scholars differ. One group of scholars says, God is, if you're faithless, God is faithful to on that final day execute justice and you will experience his wrath if you've remained faithless. John Piper, John MacArthur, John Stott, they hold to that view. I disagree with them, humbly. After reflecting on this passage, I've come to a different conclusion than I think most scholars hold to, the vast majority I think what Paul is saying here is this. There are going to be times as Christians when we have weak faith, when we waver, when we doubt. And in those times of weakness, those temporary times of weakness, not full-blown apostasy where we're denying Jesus, but in those temporary weak times of faith, instead of God looking down and saying, you stupid human, get your act together and figure things out. I've had enough. Instead of God saying that, God remains faithful to his covenant to sustain you in your times of weakness. God is faithful in our moments of weakness or weakness and faith. Let's think of a biblical example. You've got a perfect biblical example of someone who did this. Peter. He denied Jesus three times, didn't he? Is that a moment of weakness? It's a pretty big moment of weakness, denying Jesus three times. Matthew 26, 74 through 75, he began to invert a curse on himself and to swear, 
I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That's a moment of weakness, is it not? That's a moment of faithlessness. You deny Jesus three times, you curse, you swear, you say, I don't know the man. You go out and weep bitterly because you have failed miserably. But what happens to Peter at the end of the Gospel of John? Jesus restores him. Now, Jesus does it in a way that's interesting. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. How many times is Jesus going to ask Peter if he loves him? Three. In John chapter 21, 15 through 17, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter was faithless. Jesus was faithful to restore him. The difference between Peter and Judas. Judas went away unrepentant and apostate and is in hell. Peter was restored in a moment of weak faith. How many of you can identify with Peter? Don't raise, well, yeah, raise your hand, I guess. You can do it anyway. How many of you have been weak? You've doubted. You've wondered, is, is God really there? Why am I going through what I'm going through? And it's in those times of weakness that God promises to be faithful. God will faithfully sustain you to the end. What does 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9 say? He will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful to do what? Sustain you to the end. Get you to heaven. God will not leave you or forsake you. He will be faithful to sustain you to the end. God is faithful. God is also faithful to make you ready when Jesus comes back. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. God will do it. What happens when you waver? What happens when your faith isn't strong? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Sometimes we waver, don't we? But he who called us is faithful. What about when we sin? What happens? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What about when we suffer? Is God going to take care of us when we suffer? 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God is faithful when we are faithless. Praise the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but there are times when I am not the most faithful Christian. 
And if it all depended on me to muster up enough faith to be in God's good graces, I would never make it. It's not how much faith you have. It's the object of your faith, who your faith is in. Your faith is in a faithful God. So we've seen four statements here by by Paul. We have union with Christ. We've died with Christ. We're going to live with him. Got to endure to the end. Then you'll reign with Christ. A warning, don't deny him or he'll deny you. But if you are faithless in those temporary, momentary moments of of weakness, God is faithful to sustain you. And then Paul ends with a theological reason for God's faithfulness. Paul's not going to end this without some theology that's very, very important. You may think, well, theology, pie in the sky, ivory tower. No, it's very, very important. What he's about to say is very, very important. Remember the encouragement that God does not change. How does Paul end it? He cannot deny himself. Have you ever thought about that? There's something that God cannot do. What can God not do? I thought God could do everything. He's all-powerful. Yeah, God cannot deny himself. God cannot change. God's not somehow caught off guard by our sin. God doesn't change his mind when we blow it big time and say, well, one too many times they've sinned, I've changed my mind. I'm just going to kind of erase their name out of the Lamb's book of life. They've done enough. No, God does not change. God does not deny himself. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and chesed, Make sure you're awake. Steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You've got to learn to love but say the word chesed. You can't say just chesed. It's got to be that Hebrew chesed. You've got to get that Just feel it. Don't you feel it? God's chesed for you. His love, his tenacious, powerful love for you. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God's not going to lie. God's not going to change his mind. If he said it, he's going to do it. Psalm 102, 25 through 27. Of old, God, you laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. They will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. God doesn't change. God doesn't lie. God doesn't change his mind. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of God, you're not consumed. And then James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change he doesn't shift like the shadows so why can we trust in a sovereign and good god to be faithful to us to the end because he cannot deny himself he is faithful he does not change he does not change his mind he does not lie he's not caught off guard he is sovereign and he will hold us in his grip to the very end don't you want to worship a god like that i don't want to worship a god that's less than i want a god who holds me tight a god who does not change 
a God who looks at me and says, you're going to mess up, Sean, and you're going you're gonna to sin, but you know what? I sent my son to die in your place. You've raised, I've raised you with Christ. You're in my grip. You're going to fail, but I'm going to pick you up every time. I do not change. You change a lot, Sean. I don't. Praise the Lord. I want us to remember that our theme is faithful for the future. And we've been thinking about us being faithful for the future, making commitments for our future, but let me just remind you of something that's a whole lot more important than our commitments to God. His faithfulness to us for our future is a whole lot more powerful than our faithfulness to him for our future. It's a play on words. Faithful for the future, yes, we need to be faithful for the future, but ultimately God is the one who's faithful for our future. At this time, I'd like to ask one of our elders, Glenn Burton, to come and share a testimony. We've had testimonies the past three weeks, and so um, we're hearing different stories from different people and how God has, has ministered to their lives. And so um, I was talking with Glenn last night, and he's been in leadership in this church since 1981. So some of you weren't even born then. I was only 10 years old. So, Glenn, I'm going to give you the microphone there. And so, um, Glenn, tell us about... Uh, your journey into financial stewardship and giving and tithing and, and maybe the things you've learned and how God has been faithful to you over the years in, in your giving. Well, thanks for giving everybody my age, possibly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Well, um, after Paul and I would, were married, we began attending church immediately. And I would say in the first year or two, we probably weren't very faithful. You know, it's been hard to remember back that many years. But we came to the point in our lives one day where we were going to be faithful. Sorry. And let me tell you, God was faithful to us. Now, was it easy? I worked in a business. I had a business where I worked for other people. And a lot of my income depending on, depended on checks and uh, payment from the people I worked for. And they weren't always real consistent. My jobs weren't always real consistent. And because sometimes a job took longer than others. And so sometimes I would have to wait for payment, you know. But we had committed. We were, we were going to do the very best we could to follow God's promise to us. Now, did we have to sometimes maybe wait a little bit before we could put a tithe in for church? Yes. But we were always faithful and did it as soon as we could. And over the years, I can tell you, God was very faithful to us because it has come to a point where my income was a lot more stable, okay? So we could be more regular and consistent. But we were never, I, I don't think we ever missed uh, doing a payment. Um, well... We joined Emmanuel about 1979, roughly, and I'm trying to, again, think of all the dates. I became a deacon in September of uh, 2008, or 1981, sorry. And we began the first building payment in the middle 80s, or building campaign, building payment, or building construction. And what we had done is over at the building over there on Sydney Avenue, we joined the main 
sanctuary and a basement with a fellowship hall across the way, building in there a sanctuary. And it took a lot of planning and, of course, uh, a lot of dollars because part of that was to, to build it, too. And I was very fortunate. God was blessing us at that time in that I was able to help by supplying the steel, fabricating it, and also erecting it for that project. And then, of course, helping quite a bit of the time with putting up the wooden walls and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was, it was a good time for me. But, you know, Paul and I just decided we was always going to be faithful. We was always going to be consistent even though our customers always weren't in, in their payment to us. Okay. When you, you're talking about Paula, and we know what happened last year, that your, your beautiful wife passed away, and so what I want to know, and you've shared with this with me personally, but I think the church family needs to hear how Emmanuel's been a church family to you in light of the death of Paula. Well, during the time when we found out Paula had gotten sick, you know, it was amazing how much... The church came around us and prayed for us and supported us and inquired of us, you know, how things were going, of course. But I, I got to be truthful with you, Sean. I never really found out what support from a church can mean until after Paul had passed away. And how this church supported me and my family how the community came around us, this, this community of believers. And especially because I was on the praise team, how that praise team supported me and prayed for me, and, and I just could be near folks, you know, to kind of help encourage me. You know, being a part of something that is beyond you is so supporting. You know, part of it was, of course, our growth group. Those folks just really supported me, too. But, you know, it was just the love of you folks. And, of course, offers of food, and I had plenty of food, I'll tell you. <laughs> but offers of food, offers to help, all that stuff really just showed me what it really means to be a church. Amen. Do you have, as an elder, as someone who's gone through a lot this past year, do you have some words of encouragement to our church family about God's faithfulness? Yes, as I had spoken earlier, Paul and I had decided to be consistent and faithful in our giving. And, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll be truthful with you. We, we had decided we was going to give always 10% um, of our tithe, or as a tithe of our income, to first of all tithe, and later on that same amount, another 10% for building for the harvest or building for the church or whatever it may be. So we were consistent in that, plus many other times things like uh, minis other ministries we gave for those also. You know, I've never outgiven God. We've never been able to outgive God. He has always been so consistent and so faithful to us in times, like I said, when I wasn't sure we had some income coming in or I didn't know when it was going to come in. That was usually the question. Uh, I guess one other thing I would speak to that is God was so faithful over the years we had very little bad debt. Okay? You know, and that can happen pretty easily. You get people that say, I'm just not going to pay you for whatever reason. But we, that didn't happen. God was so faithful with 
I guess hopefully how I treated customers and I tried to do my best doesn't mean I was always perfect, but tried to do my best, but God was always faithful in how he treated us. You know, test God. For heaven's sake, test God. Prove him that he is that what he will do. You know, you can't outgive him if if you consistently desire to please God, do it in your giving. He'll he'll give it back to you. Amen. Thank you, Glenn. Appreciate it. Thanks. God has promised to be faithful to us God has sustained us with his grace God says you're going to go through suffering God says equip others and trust others God says I'm never going to leave you or forsake you I'm going to be faithful to you to the very end God says, I can't deny myself, I don't change, I'm powerful, I'm sovereign, I'm great, I'm glorious, I am God of the universe. And so the question then becomes, okay, if God is powerful and faithful and gracious, why give back to God something that he already has? You ever thought about that? Why do you commit to God with your finances if he already has everything? Well, I could tell you this morning, you give back to God because it's your cotton-picking duty and you better do it. You're supposed to do it. Come on now, everybody's doing it. We're not locking these, we're not, we're not leaving until everybody's done it. And we're going to go around twice and three times and lock those doors until, by golly, you do it. Great motivation, Right? That's legalistic guilt. It never helps. It never works. That's not why you give, because it's your duty to do so, because everybody's doing it. No, why do you give? Why do you commit? Why do you do it? You do it as an act of worship, in an act of gratitude for a God who's been faithful to you. So when we make these commitments over the next two years, it's not like we're paying God back something he doesn't have. It's not like we're paying God back for our salvation. And it's not we're doing out of a legalistic duty. The reason we're making these commitments is because we are tangibly, in a very tangible way, saying back to God, thank you for being faithful to me. Thank you for being faithful to our church. Thank you for sustaining me to the end. Thank you for granting me your, your grace. And so when we commit, it's really just a way to say thank you. I look around this church family. Look around you. We are blessed. We are very blessed. We could be a church that's on the brink of destruction. We could have major problems with relationships and a church split and negative behavior and we could have toxicity running rampant and we could be majorly in debt with no way to to get our heads out of it we could be um, you know closing down shop but I look around this morning and I see faithful people loving caring godly people who are concerned about the gospel and God has blessed us So faithful for the future is us being faithful for the future. But more importantly, it's thanking God 
for his faithfulness in the past and his promise to us to be faithful to us in the future. It goes both ways. We are faithful and God is faithful. And the reason we can be faithful is because God has first been faithful to us. So as we make our commitments this morning, it's really a way to say thank you back to God. And so we are going to go into a time of, of making commitments. Now, we're not going to do anything that's going to embarrass anybody. You're not going to have to stand up and say how much you're going to pledge. We're going to try to make this as, as easy as, as, as it needs to be. But let me just share with you a little bit about the process. Um, last night, the leaders of your church, elders, deacons, and leaders met to pledge first. And the reason we did that was not so that we could come and brag to you about how much we raise, but it's because biblically leaders lead. I, as pastor, am not going to ask you to do anything that I myself have not done first and foremost. And as I told the leaders last night, Don and I tithe. Don and I give to the building. Don and I give to missions. We've been doing a building fund for 17 years now. This is our sixth building campaign where we've been giving above and beyond our tithes for a building fund. And we consider it a joy and we consider it a privilege. And so our leaders have done that as well. In the Bible, you see a precedent for leaders leading and setting the pace. And so last night as our leaders gathered together, uh, the leadership over the next two years pledged $96,638 out of your leadership. Um, and so that's the amount that came from the leaders, and now it's, it's your opportunity to hopefully have come this morning. You've prayed about it. I'm not going to twist your arm. Nobody's going to come to you and say, hey, what's your commitment? Here's the way it's going to work. I'm going to pray, and in just a few moments on your seat, you will see a commitment card. And you may ask, well, why do I need to fill out a commitment card? Can't I just keep giving without a commitment card? Let me read to you what's on the box. So look at the commitment card. It's, it's very important here on this little box under the Faithful for the Future graphic. It says this, Your written commitments help us to plan how we will pay our monthly mortgage for the next two years based upon anticipated receipts. Filling out one of these helps us to plan. Helps us know what people have committed. So even if you're planning on giving at the same rate or, you're, or you've never given or pledged before, we ask you to at least record it so that we can have a record. And when I say we, not me, I don't look at this. Sherry's the only one that looks at this. I don't know what people give. I don't know what people tithe. I have never seen what people have committed. The only person I look at is my own finances. I do not look at anybody's situation. But we do ask you to please, if you do, if God has led you to commit, please fill this out just so Sherry has it so we can plan. And there's different ways you can do this. Uh, you can do it for like so many a week, so much a month, a one-time gift, like maybe a tax return or something, one, you know, once a year, however you want to do it. You put your total there, put your name. And so here's what we're going to do. On the way out, we're not going to leave these so people can see them. On your way out, on the way to the meal, out in the foyer, at your convenience, there is a box a security box that you can drop this in, and the only person that's going to see that is going to be Sherry. Um, nobody else will see your commitments. And so um, we're not going to pass a plate. We're not going to make you march up here. And you just get on your way out, and hopefully you'll stay for the meal. You'll just put your commitment in that box. And then hopefully Sherry will be able to count those up, and I'll be able to announce at the end of the meal uh, what the, the annual commitment is. And so let me just ask us to bow for a word of prayer. 
And I pray that you've come this morning prepared and prayed up and maybe you're not ready this morning and that's okay. Maybe you need some more time to think about it and that's, that's perfectly fine. You can, you can commit down the road. Um, but this morning is the day that we're actually, you know, actually doing this. And so let's just spend some time in prayer and then after that, I'll give you an opportunity. And if you don't have pens or pencils, did we bring pens and pencils in this morning? Can we get pens and pencils? Well, if you need a pen, find somebody that has one. <laughs> All right, let's, let's pray. Father, I, I am so thankful that you do not deny yourself, that you are faithful to your covenant, that you're faithful to us, Lord, you're faithful for our future. You already have our future and already written that we get to spend eternity with you in heaven because of what Christ has done. Thank you, Jesus, that we've died with you and we've been raised to new life. And Lord, if there are those that are enduring or struggling or persevering, Lord, would you give them the grace and strength to be able to do that well? And Lord, if there's anybody here that's struggling with weak faith right now, doubts, fears, would you in your grace and sovereignty come to them in faithfulness and sustain them? Lord, give us wisdom as we make commitments this morning. Lord, help us to have been listening to you and your leadership and to do what you're calling us to do. Lord, not what other people or, or any pressure from others, but Lord, let, let, let it come directly from you this morning as we make our commitments. Would you bless our time together as a church family? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.